Hey, everybody. Good morning. Hey, welcome to church. It's great to have everybody here. You made it through the detour, and you found church. Way to go, everybody. Uh, does anybody want to confess that they forgot and got off at exit two? Anybody? You, all made it, you guys are so smart. You did great. Okay, well, I'm really glad you're here this morning. We're beginning a brand new teaching series, as you saw in the video, and as Shannon mentioned, it's called The Stories We Tell. And today is just going to be an introduction, Okay. We're just introducing the topic, and I want to share a few things about it with you. And so uh, we're not actually going to get to any of the stories we tell. And if you leave feeling a little slighted, just say, hey, I told you. And you have to come back next week now, okay? Already got it? Well, to do that, then we're going to uh, turn to the New Testament letter of Colossians together. So if you would get out uh, your Bibles or your phones, whatever you'd like to follow along on, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 2, and that'll be on page 983, if you want to borrow a Bible from under the chairs in front of you. I want to encourage you this morning, if you can, to have a copy of the Bible open in front of you or following along on your phone, because I'm going to say things like, uh, hey, now we're going to look up your page here, and now we're going to look down your page here, okay, and it'll just be helpful if you can see I'm not making stuff up, okay? So Colossians chapter 2 page 983. Here's a little bit about the letter while you're turning there. This is another one of those letters by a man named Paul to a church in the ancient city of Colossae. That's in modern-day Turkey. And something unique about this letter is that it's the only one written by Paul to a church that he never saw and he never visited. The Colossian church was planted by someone that Paul mentored. And here's the best way I know to help you picture the city of Colossae. Has anyone ever seen uh, one of those t-shirts or the bumper sticker that says, Keep Austin Weird? Do you know Austin, Texas? Keep Austin Weird? I've seen some for Boulder, Colorado as well. Keep Boulder Weird. Have you seen those? Okay, well, that, that's a great description of the city of Colossae. You know, Boulder and Austin are politically far left, urban playgrounds for throwback hippies and Western Buddhists and IT geeks and yoga enthusiasts and environmentalists and, and extreme athletes and they all eat granola all day and bean sprouts and they smoke whatever's lying around and stuff like that. Well, that is a great, that is Colossae, okay? Uh, actually, this is really interesting too. They have just, in the last two years, just finally started excavating the site of Colossae. So I think we're going to learn a, a lot more in the next 10 years about it, but I'm betting they're going to find a 2,000-year-old tie-dyed t-shirt that says... <laughs> Keep Colossae weird, I bet you, okay? So most of what we know about this city actually comes from this letter. We do have some other ancient sources, and there, there are some things that have come out of the dirt. But spirituality in, in this city was a really interesting mix of kind of pseudo-Jewish uh, ritual observances mixed with Roman and Greek paganism, but not real strongly. Colossae doesn't seem to have been super enamored with the official religions of the empire, even Greek philosophy that was so influential uh, in all these other cities doesn't really seem to have made a huge impact. Uh, the best way to describe what we know about them is they're uh, spiritualists. Uh, today a person might say, you know, I'm, I'm spiritual but not religious. So they just didn't have uh, a lot of interest in revealed uh, or inherited religious traditions. They grabbed from all over the place and then they mixed it together with their own uh, folk religions. Uh, we would probably call them uh, the occult. 
so there's a lot of magic that was practiced in Colossae. We have uh, spells, you know, that people use to try to control the spiritual world that have come down to us from this city. Um, they had a particular affinity for the worship of angels and were really preoccupied with the spiritual world. We, they, we have a, an amulet, for example. A lot of amulet type things. We have an amulet from this city with the name of Solomon written on it to protect that person from evil spirits. So do you know what, you see what I mean by just a really interesting mix of all these different kinds of spiritual things. So that's the vibe. Keep Colossae weird. And it, in the, into this context, the, the way that Paul addresses it is really instructive. He just decides to lift up Jesus. That's the way he handles it. He lifts up Jesus, he makes Jesus the issue and reminds the Colossians of what's at stake. And as a result, Colossians, this letter has some of the most beautiful Christology is what it's called. It's just the theology of Jesus in the whole Bible. Uh, let me give you an example. Okay, you got Colossians out in front of you. This won't be on the screen yet, but take a look at chapter 1, verse 15. This is actually a hymn, a 2,000-year-old hymn uh, that Paul uh, quotes for them or writes for them. It says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. In other words, everything is ultimately going to be his. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. He's talking about all those spiritual rulers and authorities that they were so preoccupied with. He's saying Jesus is above all of those. All things were created through him and for him and he's before all things. In him all things hold together and he is the head of his body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that in everything, even death, Jesus is, what's the word there? Look at verse 18. Preeminent. He's preeminent in everything. And he says, for all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. Do you see what I mean? That Paul's solution is, let's just lift up. You've got to see him. You've got to see what he's really like. And so then he says in verse 28, so this is who we preach. Jesus we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me, okay? Well, now we're at our actual reading this morning. You ready? Okay? We're going to read Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And here's what he says. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of, the f of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. 
For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We'll take a look at verse 2 with me real quick if you would. This is Paul's reason for writing, and he wants them to know why since they've never met. He says, I'm working so hard for you and I'm writing to you so, so that your hearts would be encouraged, so that you'd be knit together in love. And then he adds uh, that they would have the full, the, the riches, excuse me, the riches of full assurance. That's a neat phrase that we don't hear a ton, but the riches of full assurance. Assurance is just the conviction in your heart that you really do belong to God through faith in Jesus and you really are going to live forever with him. Assurance is the conviction of your heart that you really do belong to God by faith in Jesus and you really are going to spend forever with him. Assurance produces in the Christian a peace and joy that can't be shaken no matter your circumstance because you know the end of your story. Assurance produces an active Christian life because you don't need to obsess all the time about the state of your soul. I'm not saying there's no uh, introspection in a healthy Christian life. I'm just saying when you have the riches of full assurance, you can get on with it. Do you know what I mean? You know what God has done and you know who you are as a result and so you're free to just live and serve the Lord. And it, it produces a genuine change as well. 1 John 3.3 3 says... Everyone who has this hope is purified, even as God is pure, okay? So, it's possible, I don't know if you, if you knew this, but it is possible, uh, even I would say the Bible would teach, it is, uh, I'm going to say normal, that the Christian has assurance that you've answered the big questions in life, you know where things are headed and you're free to live with all the peace and joy that comes with that. And Paul says, I'm writing because I want you to have that. And you see where it comes from in verse 2. It's not rocket science, Paul says. It, full assurance comes from understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. The more that you know about what God has done in Jesus and the more you know him personally, the more settled you get about life, the universe, and everything. And God, or Paul uh, calls Jesus then God's mystery. And all that this means is that Jesus is something that was hidden, but has now been revealed. Okay, you only get to read a mystery novel for the first time once. And then after that, you never get to read it the same way again. Do you know that? You never get to watch a murder mystery movie for the first time more than once. Because from then on, you know, through the whole movie, you're like, well, I know what's going on. I see where this is going. And that's how it is with Jesus. Once you see him, and once you understand what God has done, you never get to read the Bible the same way again. And all through the stories of the Old Testament, you, you say, oh, I know where this is going. Right? You look up the page, look at, up at the page at verse 26, chapter 1, verse 26. Paul describes this as the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. 
Last week, if you were here for Easter, we read a story together about two followers of Jesus who are struggling to make sense out of what happened in the crucifixion. Now there are these rumors of an empty tomb, and they cannot put this together with, well, what does this mean for our hope for Israel and for ourselves? And it's, you remember, Jesus drew near to them. That's what it says. He drew near to them, and he helped them to see. Beginning with Genesis and all the way through the scriptures, he explained to them why it had to be this way, why the Messiah had to suffer and die. In the language of Colossians, what Jesus did last week was he revealed the mystery. And their hearts, if you remember last week, their hearts as he spoke to them were burning within them. Well, that's what Paul is doing. Okay, Paul's using different to say the same thing. He's writing so their, their hearts will be filled with courage. They would love each other more and they would have that sense of full assurance, peace and joy and purpose that comes when you know what God has done. Okay? Then about Jesus, he adds in verse 3 that in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What a great phrase. In Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom is just knowing the best way to live. Would anyone like a good life? Okay. It's, it, it's found in Jesus. Knowledge is just knowing the difference between what is true and what is not. So, Paul is saying that in Jesus, all the treasures of knowing how to live and knowing what's true and what's not, they're all found in there. Last week, again, if if you were here, in the story of the two disciples, I hope, you know, that we were able to see that all Jesus is doing there in that story is helping them to see that on this side of the cross and resurrection, he is the center of all spiritual reality now. And if you want to understand yourself, the world, or spiritual things, you will find it in him. Paul is saying the exact same thing. This means that if you have questions about yourself, the world, the universe, your spouse, life in general, purpose and meaning, all those things, Paul is asserting we will not fully come to grips with that until we find those answers. In Jesus. That has implications for your relationships. That has implications for your marriage, for your parenting, uh, for your engagements with the world, for your goals in life, for your work. If you are 17 years old today and you're trying to figure out what you're going to do with your life next year, Paul is saying the beginning of the answer is in Jesus. You'll find it there. Everything you have to know is found in Jesus. Let me say it again with the emphasis on the right word. Everything you have to know is in Jesus. Okay, so uh, he's not going to tell, maybe, not going to tell you how to fix your car. But he will help you know what kind of person to be while you wait for the tow truck on the side of the interstate. Okay, does that make sense? Everybody understand the difference? He's not going to lay out for you 
blueprints for how to build a house, but he will tell you an awful lot about how to build a family. Everything you have to know for the kind of life you were made for is found in him. And when he says, this is interesting, when he says they're hidden in Jesus, it just, all he's saying is you just need to know where to look. We're all trying to make sense out of life, and Paul's like, I'm telling you where the answer is. Okay, so did anybody do an Easter egg hunt last week? You can admit it in church, it's fine. We did one at my house. Okay, if you've ever done an Easter egg hunt or watched your kids do an Easter egg hunt or something like that, you know how it goes. You tell them there is an egg on the playset, and they walk by it like 10 times, right? You know what I mean? And it's not, it's not like hidden, right? It's right there, but they're looking all over the place, you know, and what do you, what do you start to say? Warmer, <laughs> right? Warmer. Almost, oh, your hand's on fire, oh, colder, you know. That's what this feels like to me. All the treasures of knowing how to live and what's true and not true are right in plain sight. But we're looking all over the place because we've absorbed, you know, we just have this idea that Jesus is the guy Christians say will get me out of hell. But for, you know, figuring out the rest of my life, that's just kind of on me. And so we're just looking all over the place. So if you're here, okay, maybe you're here because you have a Christian friend that you really admire. There's just something about him that you like. Warmer. And uh, you find yourself in church today. Maybe for the first time in a really long time. Maybe first time ever. Or the second time. Warmer. And you are listening to a sermon from the Bible, and you're not asleep. Warmer. I wonder how the pastor voted. Colder. <laughs> I wonder what these people would think of me if they really knew blah about me. Colder. Maybe you're new to church, you have a bunch of spiritual questions. Well, we actually have a class here beginning on Thursday, I believe, called Christianity Explored. I called Tim Porter last night. He said there are 8 to 12 slots still open, and you sign up. Warmer. The point is just that sooner or later, there are so many interesting things to talk about. The history of religion and philosophy and what about all these terrible things Christians have done and da, 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 and how do, you know, lots of interesting things. Sooner or later, you have to get to Jesus. And you have to answer the question, why did he die? And what does it mean if he has been raised? That's what Paul is saying. And the implications for that Impact every part of your life. He goes on to say that in verse 4, I'm saying this so that no one will delude you with plausible arguments. Plausible arguments are just stories about the way things work that 
have the appearance of being reasonable and they feel right, but they aren't actually, to use another phrase from verse 8, they're not according to Christ. In other words, they don't actually line up with what I've just said is spiritual reality. Plato used the same Greek word, plausible arguments, to warn his students about really great-sounding oratory that moves you emotionally and it feels like it just jives with your understanding of the world, but then you look into it and there's nothing there. It's not actually true and it winds up screwing up your life. Well, this is, so this is where the title for this whole series comes from. Paul is saying we have stories we're being told or that we're telling ourselves about how the world works. And if those stories don't line up with reality, we're going to be deluded. And life is just not going to click. It's not going to make sense for you. He fills this in a little more in the verses that follow. He says, okay, so therefore as you received Christ, so also walk in him. And he says, I want you to be rooted and built up in Jesus and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Okay, that sounds a lot like have your heart encouraged, loving one another, having full assurance. And then here's the alternative. Or you can be taken captive. Literally, it means carried off like a trophy by the elemental spirits of the world. The elemental spirits of the world, he's just talking about the whole Colossian shtick. The whole thing with all of its superstitions, and its fears, and the stories they were telling about how the spiritual world works. That's what he means by the elemental, like uh, the stuff you don't even think about, you just assume it's true, the elemental spirits of the world. We talked about this actually, if you were here a year ago, uh, when we were studying 1 Corinthians, we talked about this. The elemental spirits of the world are a reference to real spiritual powers and authorities that are at work behind fake spiritual things like amulets, idols, temples, uh, religious merit, the occult, all the stuff the Colossians loved. None of those things are real. Rocks around your neck aren't going to do anything for you. But there are real spiritual powers and authorities behind them that would love to haul you off like a trophy and make you captive. And they, they cause real harm to God's people. That, that's another thing I want you to hear. Plausible arguments cause real harm to people. In our, you know, in our context, the American ethic is if it's not hurting anyone, then why would it be wrong? I'm just saying there are things that cause real harm that are not obvious five minutes after you've made the decision. Does that make sense? There are real, there are plausible arguments that cause real measurable harm to people, but you don't see the fruit until 30 years after the idea has taken root. Okay? So, you know, there are things you'll encounter in your life, your marriage, your work, I don't know, you know, just where you're like, I don't know why, but life just does not work it may be things you have been believing for 20 years. You don't, you don't even think about them. But everything needs to be brought into alignment with who Jesus is. Now, Paul uses, describing these elemental spirits of the world, 
that would love to haul you off like a trophy, he says there, there are two tactics. One is philosophy and empty deceit. Okay, those are actually one thing. And then human tradition. So you don't need to go home, by the way. You don't need to go home and drop your freshman humanities course. Philosophy by itself is not a bad thing. It just means a system of thought. Christianity, under this definition, is a philosophy. It's empty and deceitful philosophy that's the issue. They have no real substance or power to them, but they do appeal to our natural passions and desires. And then human traditions, are, he's just talking about organized systems of religion that draw us away from Christ. Now, we, in the United States, we live in what's called a pluralistic society. Have you heard this word before? Okay. A pluralistic society is one in which there's no officially approved pattern of belief or, or uh, action. Okay. Uh, there's always going to be a dominant pattern of belief. So in Colossians, it's, it was spiritualism. Everybody just kind of assumed that was true. They didn't think about it that hard. In our context, it, it, uh, it's a secular way of thinking about things. So secular assertions in the United States are assumed to be true and often go unexamined. And in, in principle, pluralism is not a bad thing, by the way. I would much rather live in a place where I'm free to believe what I want than Russia or someplace else. Okay? So it's not a bad thing in principle, but what all Paul is saying is, for those of you who live in a context like that, ideas are not neutral. Ideas aren't neutral, and behind philosophies and human traditions are real, elemental, spiritual powers that want to carry you off. Okay, so this means that how we educate our children matters. Okay? Uh, what we put into our minds through our screens matter. At the very least, it matters that we are able to discern what is true and what is not true. I had this really interesting experience like a month and a half ago, two months ago. I took the boys to the library and um, we were looking in the teen section for something to read and I, found, I, I picked up a copy of Huckleberry Finn. And I was just thinking about, you know, how often this book has been banned over the years. And I literally was in the middle of congratulating myself on not being a book banner and how enlightened I am, et cetera, et cetera. I put it down and I turn and here's a display for teenagers with a whole bunch of books about gender. And it's just stuff, I'm not going to get into a lot of detail, but I just, just looking at the titles could tell these are genuinely harmful things. Like they will actually destroy children's lives. For real. And immediately like, bam! <laughs> you know what I mean? Ah! We, we just cannot go through life that way. Okay, we can't go around, you know, uh, 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 everything. We have to have the wherewithal and our children need to be taught how to recognize what is in accord with Christ and what isn't. So, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are there. Paul's solution, if you live in a place like ours, is just lift him up. Study him. Know him. Do a catechism at home with your kids. Let the church come alongside you and partner with you in Awana and life shaping to help your kids see what Jesus is really like. Okay, The, the way 
you know, in the FBI, when they're training people to spot forged checks, what they do is they just study the heck out of real ones. To spot fake money, they just study and study and study real money so that when they are confronted with a fake, they, they just know it right away. So that's all Paul is saying. It's not rocket science. Lift him up and look at him. And here's the litmus test, okay? So I'm, I'm a seventh grade boys youth group leader, and we studied Colossians in the refuge this year. So we had to look. This is how, this is how I explain to a seventh grade boy uh, how to spot a plausible argument. A plausible argument is a philosophy or tradition that minimizes, obscures, or makes you less dependent on the cross of Jesus. Okay? Everybody got that? A plausible argument is anything that minimizes, obscures, or makes you less dependent on the cross of Jesus. I think even a seventh grade boy can pick up on that. We'll see. When you see that, you don't need to run screaming out of the classroom. You don't need to whip your remote at the TV. You just, you just can know, okay, I'm about to be taken for a ride here. And even if it's like 90% true, that's how plausible arguments work, by the way, they're like 90% true. You can, you can know that if I follow this line of thought out to its logical conclusion, I'm going to wind up 10 miles from the truth without Jesus and a whole bunch of problems. And that's what this teaching series is about. What we're going to do in this teaching series is I, I just want you to see that we have these stories we're telling about how the world works and how to make sense of our lives. And when the gospel is not foundational to those stories, we're going to lose courage. Uh, our relationships are going to be strained. And we are not going to have the kind of assurance, the kind of peace, the kind of joy that Christ, that, that's our birthright as followers of Jesus. And what we're going to do in this series, you know, if it's true that that assurance comes in knowing what God has done in Jesus, then let's do it. What we're going to do in this series is we're basically going to do biblical theology together. We're going to look at some of the, some of the most common stories that we tell ourselves. And we're going to look at how the cross and resurrection of Jesus addresses that. So I reached out to a, a biblical counselor this week and a Christian therapist as well. And I just asked them, I said, what are some of the most common? What are some of the most common stories people are telling themselves that wind up making a huge mess out of their lives? And they, they can't even put their finger on why, where they went wrong. So here's just a few, okay? Uh, grief and trauma. One of them talked about grief or trauma that controls people's lives. There's this narrative out there that if you've been hurt or traumatized, then it's something you've got to deal with before you can have a normal, fruitful life. So this was the Christian therapist speaking. She said, there, there's a lot of truth to that. And I don't want to minimize the role that a counselor or a therapist could play, especially if you've really been traumatized. But the fact is, Sometimes it takes decades to understand what happened to you when you were a teenager. And what the gospel says to us actually is that right now, 
You have in Jesus everything you'll need to be obedient to his word. This therapist, this is a quote. I wanted to get it exactly right. She said, I know a lot of amazing Christians who never manage to work through their trauma but have had really beautiful, satisfying lives in Jesus. So we're going to talk about the doctrine of redemption next week. What is scripture, when, the, when the scripture says that in Christ you have been redeemed, what does that actually mean? Okay? Here's another one that biblical counselor mentioned, security. So we're made for some sense of security and order and protection. Those are really good things. And it's like uh, 95% true. Relationships should be a place where you feel safe and secure, etc., etc. But the cross tells a slightly different story, and that is that some relationships, especially those who love you most, sometimes it will feel like they are crucifying you. And there's actually something really redemptive and powerful going on. Uh, they mentioned significance. So we have a whole generation of young men who just do not know this. Well, this is true for everybody, but I, I just, I know a bunch of young men who just have no idea what their lives are for. And here's, here's the word of the Lord saying to them, you have been given this tremendous inheritance, authority, look at, well, look at verse 9. This is verse 9, find verse 9, find verse 9. What does it say? In him the whole fullness of deity dwells. Oh, it's verse 10. I lied. Okay. And you, you've been filled in him. Who's the head of all rule and authority? We got Christ, young Christian men peeing their lives away playing video games all day because they don't know what they are. And that's a real problem. And then you got young women who are like, where are all the men? They're peeing their lives away. I'm telling you right now. Okay? So there's just all these... But we, there's a sense of, I, you know, I'm not special. I don't have the personality. I don't have the position. There's nothing that I really have to offer. That's a lie. But it's a story that a lot of dudes especially tell themselves. And girls, I know you have your issues too. But anyway. I just, I gotta have to tell you this story. You know, and I'm speaking for myself, but I'm taught, you know, there's, there's a guy I meet with. He is ready today to go to Ukraine and kill Russians. Who's not, okay? He's ready today. But he just, it is so hard to engage his wife and children. He just doesn't know how. I'm like, buddy, this is your Ukraine. And you have everything you need in Jesus to do today what he's called you to do, Okay. Productivism. This is another, this is the biblical counselor said we, um, often people come in and, and what's happened is, you know, there's trouble, especially in a marriage relationship, there's trouble. And the solution is, the story they tell themselves is, if we just had more square footage, if we were just able to get away together a little more, we wouldn't have these problems. And there's a lot of truth to that. Sure helps if you're not living on top of each other. But they take on enormous loads of debt. Now we have a new problem. Or they'll take a job that offers 10000 more a year, but it takes them out of the home 200 days a year. And it just exacerbates all the issues that were already there. Okay, so there's this... We're not going to do them all. Okay, there's just so many of these kinds of stories, and we just don't sometimes have the resources to think through what we're telling ourselves. All right? 
So let me make one uh, quick, pu quick plug, public service announcement before we wrap up here. You know, so here at SCC, absolutely, absolutely believe in the power of the word of God, but I also have small hopes for sermons, okay? And that's because there are a thousand of you and we only get 30, which I stretch to 40 minutes a week. And that's a thousand stories and a thousand questions that I, you know, the way we think about it here is in preaching, we're just sort of dropping gospel bombs, carpet bombing the whole congregation. And what you need is someone who sits across from the, the kitchen table with you and says, okay, here's what you've heard. Preacher man say, let's talk about your life and how it applies. Next Sunday... Uh, our, our pastor of biblical counseling, Pat Stream, is going to host a seminar in the refuge room right back there, a 30-minute seminar, I think it's between services, uh, where he's going to teach a simple tool called the root or the fruit-to-root tool. Uh, this is a tool that I've used a lot in my own life when I'm losing control of, you know, I can't think straight, I don't know why I'm feeling and thinking the way that I am. I found it to be very helpful. I try to teach it to all the guys that I meet with. Sometimes they don't even know that I'm using it or teaching it, uh, but I am. Actually, literally this week, I uh, had a guy say to me, he's, our, he's saying out loud what he believes, and he, he literally said, this sounds crazy when I say it out loud. Yeah, and that's what's driving your life right now, Okay. Um, the feedback, so we have these freedom groups that meet for 13 weeks. The feedback we get from freedom groups is that the root-to-fruit tool, out of those 13 weeks, that's the most useful thing that they leave with. And so I just encourage you, make time for that next week because I can't, I can't address a thousand questions from up here, okay? I also want to add, if you, missional communities and small groups, I would really like you uh, to study and get after the root to fruit tool this month. As we go through this series, missional communities and small groups, I want you to learn it together, okay? And I am the pastor of teaching, which means you just have to do it now. Okay. Uh, I'll have the worship team coming up. I'm gonna close with this, just this reminder before we go. Paul says, I want you to know why I'm writing, that your heart would be encouraged. You'd be knit together in love and that you'd have the riches of full assurance and understanding the knowledge of God's mystery. And he says then in verse 9, for in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Everything you want to know about God is in him. And he goes on to say, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So I don't know you know, where each of you are at in your um, faith. I don't know what kinds of questions you have right now. I don't know what brought you here today. But I just want to end by, by reminding you the answers you seek, I guarantee you, are found in Jesus. And all I want for you this month is to get to him. Okay? Let's stand and sing together.